One, two, three, four, I'm testing. Peace, my people. <clears throat> Excuse me. Good morning to you all. Welcome to yet another episode of ADQ's Renaissance. I am your host with the most. Keeping it real from coast to coast. Tastes better than extra toast than buttery toast. Try my best not to boast. A D Q. So y'all last night recorded two episodes. We recorded two episodes. One with my man Dominique Hand and the other with um, my homegirl uh, Genesis Amaris Kemp. Two incredible interviews, two very spiritually filled interviews, two interviews that touched on the state of the black culture. Now, um, you know how I like to do I like to start with scripture, but before I start with scripture, first of all, <clears throat> I just want to say, it's been real, y'all. It's been real. I've been black for 34 years, man, and you know, it's been some ups and downs to it, but you know, it's all come, it's all come to a head, it's all come to an end. For according to, um... Former Vice President Joe Biden, if you can't decide between him and Trump, then you ain't black. I can't decide which one I dislike the most. So yeah, yeah, y'all I'm not black. I might as well just shut down my entire platform, call my hair off, and just you know, go back to Cooney. Go back to Cooney. Yeah, man. I love being black, man. I really did. It was really cool. I just want to say to Joe Biden, thank you, sir. Thank you. You, sir, you, vice president, you have went on, you have went on the very public international platform <clears throat> and show yourself for the racist dodo that you are. Thank you, former Vice President Biden. You have overwhelmingly won the black vote in South Carolina and other places. It is the black vote that has made you the, presum- the presumptive Democratic nominee. Yes, it's the black vote. So many of us cannot so many of us see this white guy who has served the who has served the country for many many years including being the being the uh, sidekick of the first ever of the first ever black president and they think that he is for us that he is on our side that he is a champion of black rights for one thing man we need, daggone, we need to stop looking to politicians. We need to stop looking to white politicians to solve all of our problems. I guarantee you, no, no white politician, no politician on Capitol Hill has the, has the best interest of black people at their heart. The, lo- the, the, the the focus should be local and state politics. 
what's up with this whole phase two thing that uh, Roy Cooper's implementing? Why can't I go to a barbershop today? Which I am. I'm definitely going to a barbershop. Why can't I go to a barbershop today, but I can't go to church tomorrow? Hmm? What's with this HB6? What's with this HR6666 bill that they that they trying to pass? That's going to allow them to get all up in my business. You know what I'm saying? Don't fall for the okie doke. Vote whoever you want to. I don't care. But as for me and my house, we ain't voting for Joe Biden. We ain't voting. I ain't voting for Donald Trump either. You say that, people say that a vote, a third party vote or a write-in is necessarily, is basically a vote for Trump. No, it ain't. Because I'm going to go up in there and I'm not going to click the button that says Donald Trump. I'm going to click the, I'm going to write someone in. Heck, I might write in these nuts. So, Joe Biden is nest is basically blue Trump with more black friends. <coughs> June third, me and Cameron Crowder are going to get together on this podcast and we are going to talk about politics in depth. But I digress. Let's leave <coughs> the messy political realm and dive into the spiritual realm. Let's see. Where is somewhere I can go? Oh, here's one. Here's something. Joel chapter 1 verses. Let's see. Let's go from verses 1 through 2. 1 through 5. The Lord gave this message to Joel, son of Pethuel. Hear this, you leaders of the people. Listen, all who live in the hand. In your history, has anything like this happened before? Tell your children about it in the years to come. And let your children tell their children. Pass the story down from generation to generation. After cutting, locusts finished, finished eating the crops. The swarming locusts took what was left. After them came the hopping locusts. And then the stripping locusts too. Wake up you drunkards and weep. Well all you wine drinkers. All the grapes are ruined. All your sweet wine is gone. <clears throat> I think that says me to tell all the generations that follow me. About the craziness that is occurring in this world. Just craziness. Anyway. So yo we got two dope. We got two dope interviews. One with my man Dominique Hand talking about black economics. <laughs> Excuse me. Talking about black economics. Talking about um, yeah, we talk mostly about po- uh, black economics, politics. Oh yeah, dope conversation. And Genesis, Am- uh, Amaris, 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 whatever. Uh, Kim, we talked about her book, uh, Chocolate Drop in Corporate America. <laughs> Been there. Except it wasn't in Corporate America. It was in, um, it's been a couple places I've been in. 
But y'all keep it locked. Stay tuned. This is ADQ's Renaissance. Yo, peace, my people. It's your boy, ADQ. Welcome back to ADQ's Renaissance. Now, <clears throat> this podcast is is uh, operating through technology. <clears throat> and technology is very much imperfect. You know what I'm saying? Like, last week, we recorded, me and my guest recorded a powerful in- interview. I was in Gaffney, South Carolina. It was just powerful black power all through my mom's apartment, right? We lost all of it. So, brother, brother is back. We're going to do it again. And who knows? We just may have a even more powerful intellectual conversation coming. So, in case you didn't catch the last one, let me break it down this, how dope this brother is real quick. <clears throat> you see, this brother is a traditional social entrepreneur, education, and consultant with the Racial Equity Institute. He served as a former administrative supportive uh, a support assistant for the Middle College at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro, where he taught college courses and assisted other teachers with curriculum instruction. He served as a youth representative for Melanin LLC, an organization with Genesis Baptist Church that holds summer camps, mentorship programs, and other community reach service uh, organizations that service youth li- youth that are living in low income neighborhoods. <clears throat> His passion for assisting marginalized youth encouraged him to start a, a program called Brotherhood Breakfast, which gives young black men together, I mean, which gathers young black men together to share and navigate challenges they face in a very race-conscious society. He attended the University of North Carolina at Greensboro, where he received a bachelor's in sociology with concentration in criminology, education, and African-American, Africa diaspora uh, studies. He also received a master's degree in sociology with a focus on race, criminal law, media, and entrepreneurship (laughs) at UNCG. During the plight of his academic journey, he was exposed to the anti-racist work of the Racial Equity Institute, REI, in 2015 and joined REI in 2018 with a commitment to raise awareness <clears throat> towards the impact of systemic discrimination and racial equity. <clears throat> Currently, he is the founder of the Intellectual Action LLC, a private education and digital marketing consulting agency that assists young entrepreneurs, teachers, and business with intensive business coaching and adequate tools that optimize their brand or social impact. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to ADQ's Renaissance, Mr. Dominique Hand. Dominique, assalamu alaikum, brother. Walaikum salam. Can you hear me, man? I can hear you perfectly, sir. Beautiful, beautiful. I got my studio set up this time, so no more mistakes, brother. <laughs> no more, oh, no more. Beautiful. We'll make sure the audio is straight, man. Beautiful. So, uh, Dominique, I got I, I I I got I got bad news for you, man. What's going on, bro? <laughs> I don't want to hear this. <laughs> What's up, brother? We're not black anymore. 
We're not doing anymore because I'm not supporting Joe Biden. I don't know if you're supporting <laughs> Joe Biden. I assume you're not. I assume you're not. You just don't seem like a like a Biden type person. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I man, uh, polytricks, man. Poly-tricks. I'm sorry, politics. Politics. I mean, I'm sorry, politics. Um, I, I believe that there needs to be a political movement within our communities but I feel like there has to be a independent thought within that political community that goes outside of Democrat and Republican because I, I don't see bad things in the Republican Party I don't see bad things in the Democratic Party what I see though is a tribalism or what I call political game banking taking place. It's either you Democrat or you Republican. It's either you for this candidate or you for that candidate, right? And it's never room for independent thought. And I think that's the scary thing about American culture. It's so binary that there is no room for thinking. It's, it's, it's more of, of game banging and dogma and programming and you know this sense of of just tribalism like i gotta be a part of this in order for me to be socially accepted so i think that's the danger with black people man is that we put all our faith in this man that has clearly shown that he does not stand up for black people he signed so many bills and 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 passed so much legislation that has went against the self-interest of black people yet we bow to this man's feet because he was the vice president of the first black president of the united states of america and yeah. I think that's what it was. <clears throat> yeah, and of course, I say that in sarcasm to his interview. Today, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which he said, if you uh, struggle choosing me over Trump, you ain't black. And mm, that's the problem with that. The problem with that <laughs> goes. All, the problem with that goes all the way back to Clinton. It may even go all the yeah. way back to Kennedy. A couple yeah. of um, a couple of white boys uh, come or. Or one or a white girl come up in come up on the scene every four years and not every four years they're uh, reaching they're using black elites to reach uh, mm-hmm. to reach black people and whatnot as a whole and we fall and we fall for the okie doke every time like every yep. time every time a, a white political candidate goes on goes into a black church or on some kind of a, a multi multiple black multi black Predominantly black platform, such as the Arsenio Hall, the Bre- the Ar- Arsenio Hall Show, uh, the Breakfast Club, BT, whatever, which are black platforms that are owned by white people, yeah. and they say things that and they say things that you know is basically like mind screwing us. They make us think that they're for the they're for the cause. They right. should be part of the cookout and stuff. I'm like, man, if you inviting Joe Biden to the cookout, you stupid. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I feel, I feel like in our communities, man, like there's been a great number done to us, man, and that's something we have to understand. I was listening to Dr. DeGroy, you know, the the woman who wrote about post traumatic slave order, post traumatic slave syndrome, excuse me. 
and she was kind of talking about like the effects that that slavery right and jim crow segregation and systemic racism has had on black people and those are real things it may not look the same as it looked maybe 150 years ago or 250 years ago but we still are dealing with the remnants of that and the main remnant of you know systemic racism slavery Jim Crow segregation is the mindset that has been developed, the condition and the culture that has been developed in our community to where we still secretly, subconsciously, unconsciously still depend on a, a collective white group to kind of save us. Like they're not going to save us, whether they have good intentions or not. Like they, they, they are only going to, you know, probably make some adjustments to the system but a lot of them still have self-interest in maintaining things the way that they are because they are the primary beneficiaries of it, you know? And we, we have to be honest and, you know, I can't blame white folks for doing that. If they, if they wanna kind of keep things the way that they are and, and keep it moving to where they're having the best outcomes, right? It only makes sense to keep things going that gives you a competitive edge over everyone else. That just means for us that we gotta start being a little bit more self-sufficient and our decision making especially on a political standpoint now i do see value in politics especially on a local and community level you know i go to board meetings every now and then every you know city council meetings and the residents that i look at i go to you know i'm, I'm a big educator so i go to the board of ed and i hear out on some of the things they have going on with you know how they're facilitating money financial sheets um how they're going to kind of deal with natural disasters that take place and we know that you know poor communities get hit the hardest you know talking about you know disparities within the achievement gap like we got to discuss these things these things have to be talked about and discussed and so you know I, I think there is some type of value in politics but you know for me i know that politics especially someone that has has some background in campaigning has some background in actually helping to try to get a senator in office who I felt at the time had similar political interests that I wanted to see within my community. I know that politics is behind politics, behind every politician, there's a money scheme there. There's funding, right? Politicians need funding. So their allegiance is not always to their political agenda. A lot of their allegiance is to the money and the funders and the sponsors to their political campaigns. And so what makes Bernie Sanders, and this is not me saying that Bernie Sanders is the best candidate, but what makes Bernie Sanders so interesting is that he literally was a candidate that spoke truth to power for the most part. And a lot of his funding came from the people and not from corporations, which was which was something different that I feel like a lot of us talking about America collectively was not ready to embrace a, a man with that type of thinking and that type of uh, progressive ideology, political ideology. Well, <clears throat> first of all, sorry. Uh, first of all, I'm sorry. I started out on political note. Just oh, I heard good. that today. Yeah, crazy. You good? But I will say, I will say, I support Bernie. And now you know, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of like, I ain't really feeling Bernie that much now because mm-hmm. he's throwing all his support behind Joe Biden, and I'm like. I'm like, you're not really tied. <clears throat> you're not really tied to the Democratic Party because you only caucus with the Democrats and run as a Democrat when you run for president. But you're an independent senator. I mean, you're you're part of a whole separate entity. So you're not a Democrat. Also, you can't. Also, you shouldn't like swear elite blind allegiance to 
Democrat Party because, you know, Bernie 78, he's not running for president again. He's not running for president again. I mean, he's done with that. That ship, that ship is selling some. Yeah. So I, th- I think at this point, bro, I think it's just I think it's more of just getting Trump out of office than actual like who's the best candidate. And I think that's the danger within American politics. It's like this, you know, politics has never been about the best candidate. It's, it's always been about, you know, a- allegiance to, to someone based upon party association. Going back to that political game thing. I, I just I just feel like, you know, the endorsements that a lot of these people who run and you know they don't win primaries or, or you know the elections come up and they're they're behind or they're second place third place i think a lot of them just you know they they give their endorsements to to the best candidate because essentially when it's all said and done they're trying to make sure that their party collectively wins and gets into office so they can get some of the things that they talked about passed over because you know a lot of them are going to become but they're going to get a job as senators they're going to probably get a job in the house or they're going to get a job working in the government and they're going to try to implement some of their ideas into something right and honestly the the presidential election should be the least of our worries we should be thinking about the house of representatives we should be thinking about the senate and congress because they're the ones writing the laws and passing the laws and making the decisions that are impacting our lives on a day-to-day basis and most importantly, we need to also look at our, our our state and local government too, and not leave them behind, because they're also the ones who are making those small decisions that are impacting our lives on a day to day basis. Like for instance, this coronavirus is a perfectly good example. North Carolina, where we live at right now, we're in stage two today. Roy Cooper, right, which is the governor, opened up stage two of the coronavirus. That wasn't done on a federal level. Donald Trump didn't say, okay, all states are going to go on a phase two. You know. Um, uh, process and reopening their economies. Like, no, everything is done state by state. And Donald Trump even says we're going to treat the coronavirus on a state, you know, on a state level. And so, like, those are things that we have to start paying attention to when we talk about getting involved in the politics. Because I think those, I think those local and state victories can have way more of an impact than just looking at federal, right? Looking at the president and what the president is doing all the time or who's running for president. And so. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't want to go too deep into that, bro. But you know, I've been listening to a lot of cats. You know, on a, on a conservative level, I got a couple friends who are on conservative who are black. Um, but then I have some friends who are like super liberal, progressive, who consider lefties, um, who are on the Democratic side, who are on the the liberal side. Uh, and I hear them out, man. But you know, for me, I, I have a different walk of life. Um, I, I as I listen to you know Booker T and Du Bois, because this is kind of like for black people. Booker T and Du Bois type of debate. Um, I see the value in both of their viewpoints, and I feel like we should practice both of their viewpoints. But at this moment in our lives right now, especially with the pandemic and how coronavirus has impacted, you know, communities of color, disabled people, poor people, more than any other group, I feel like economic development and self-sufficiency is is just as important, if not more important, than political independence. I agree, and you know what? I like how you brought up Booker T and the boys because yeah. check this out. <clears throat> I, I would like to I would like to add Garvey into the mix. Yeah, let's do that. Well, let's, let's let's talk it out. I'm holding the Garvey book. Um, um, Booker Garvey what brought Garvey to America was he wanted to meet over Booker T. Booker T because after he read that uh, Up from Slavery book, you know, it did something to him. 
And it's like, I, I, I gotta go see this man. And by the time he had got to America too, Booker T, Booker T had that, right? Yet, throughout, throughout um, Garvey's time, you know, when he was uh, attaining a certain level of rev- uh, relevant relevance, see, you would look at him and Du Bois, mm-hmm. both of them being Africans, both of them want, want, uh, want, the, want us to be free. Right. But many of those two were going at it, man. Um, You love Malcolm, right? You love Malcolm so much that Absolutely. you look like him. <laughs> Malcolm was a Garveyite. He was raised in a Garvey household. True. Yeah. So I would assume that based off of that and based off of how you matriculate um for our people, mm-hmm. you will go along with Garvey as well, right? Uh yeah, absolutely. Um I, I would I would I would definitely say this. Um again, there is nothing right or wrong about Booker T and the voices argument. You know, um clearly these two had opposing sides right booker t was more on the submissive side he, he preached accommodation he said that black people should really focus on economic development and they should just let white folks run kind of like the political spectrum and this is the reason why booker t said that and this is this is kind of what where the voice kind of differed a little bit from booker t is that booker t when you read his book up from slavery you have to keep in mind that booker t literally comes from a background where he doesn't have any money. He doesn't have any college education, right? He had to work his way into getting into college. And when he did get into college, he pretty much worked as a custodian throughout his whole college career, right? The boys didn't have that background. The boys was very much middle-class, upper-middle-class. He was the first black to go to Harvard. So his, his intellect is way different than Booker T's. His condition is way different than Booker T's. That's where like the the conflict comes in because of the lifestyle condition that they went through. Even though the boys in his book, Souls of the Black Folks, he did go to the South and was able to see what Booker T was talking about. But Booker T was dealing with black people who couldn't read. He was dealing with black people who, you know, barely knew how to wash, um, you know, was, was just going through like the very menial aspects of life. So Booker T was like, look, we need economic development. You know, we, we, we gotta we gotta build up Tristigi, we gotta build up an institute that's gonna show black people the basics of how to do for self and to be self-reliant. We don't need to focus on politics because politics will just take away from us really understanding and being self-reliant and, and having more control of our condition. The voice was like, no, we need to fight for civil rights. We need to be equal to white folks on every level. We need civil rights. Um, we need to participate um, and be proactive in a more political movement. And so this is this is uh, where Du Bois, um, you know, he first came out, of course he was a combinationist, he came up with double consciousness, he said all of these things, but you said Du Bois was a Pan-Africanist. At the time of Booker T's uh, rise, right, as a black leader, Du Bois was not a Pan-Africanist. He was very much a, a what we call, um, uh, a simulation, right? Like he he really mixed a lot of his views with, um, you know, civil rights leaders today would mix their views with. He, he believed in equality. He believed in um, everyone having equal protection of the law um, under the Constitution. You know, he 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 you know he believed that racism was like a complete evil. 
you know, um, and so that was his paradigm. And for, for Booker T, Booker T was focused on economic development, which the boy, which caught the attention of Garvey, because you know Garvey looked up to Booker T, and Garvey kind of preached the same thing and said that you know what, economic development is where we're going, right? Economic development, right? Then we can talk about political independence, right? Because with 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 every political movement within every government, economics has to be involved because America was built off economics, not politics. Politics came when economic development was was being um, formulated, when the system was being formulated. That's when we begin to see laws and policy start to shape up the structure. And so if you, if you go back, look at the Virginia Company, study that 1607, right? You know, people talk about 1619 when the first Africans came here. Well, you know, 10, 20 years before that, America was already being built. It was indentured servants and it was the planter class and they were already building up a, 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 a nation. They were already building up a government. And so when they got Africans to come in, Africans were already put at the bottom of the tolling pole because they knew that in order to build up this nation, they needed labor to build up their economic engine. And so <clears throat> it all started with economics, not politics. And so we have to understand, I think Booker T understood that even though he grew up in the South, he knew what mattered to white people most, and he knew that white people depended on black people for the labor at that uh, for, for for labor at that time. But Du Bois, again, from his background, he didn't he didn't um, he didn't see that. He he saw blacks as intellectuals, and and not only that, he only saw a few percentage of blacks as intellectuals, and he thought that those blacks could uplift the race. Now, what happens is that as Du Bois goes further into civil rights legislation goes further into the wars and sees how deeply rooted racism was inside of white culture, inside of American culture, then he began to start shifting his mindset to start looking more like Booker T's, which is a collective African identity that's unified and it's going to go against colonialism. So it was later in Du Bois's career that he became a Pan-Africanist and began to start siding with the ideologies and philosophies of Marcus Garvey because let's be real Du Bois did not like Marcus Garvey Marcus Garvey did not like Du Bois they were going at it for a while and you know colorism brother is a real thing and Du Bois was very fair-skinned Marcus Garvey was a dark-skinned Jamaican and that played a role into leadership development within the black community especially between intellectuals and then you know blacks who are literally suffering from impoverished conditions and so you know we still deal with those philosophies today if you see it, you know, you have some blacks are, are middle class, highly intelligent blacks pushing politics and civil rights. And then you still have, you know, blacks who, who live in impoverished conditions, who get exposed to the philosophies of Marcus Garvey, Elijah Muhammad, and Noble Drew Ali, and, and various different, you know, um, w, you know, Booker T, you know, um, Ida B. Wells, we can talk about um, Madam C.J. Walker, they get pulled into these philosophies of self-reliance and community development. And those ideas have always been composing within the Black community and sometimes create a uh, division and thought within the Black community because of just those two leaders and what they started for us. But, you know, absolutely, I, I agree with Marcus Garvey's philosophy. I don't necessarily discredit politics, but I do think there needs to be more of an economic independency for Black people we start getting deep into politics okay a couple things to that number one i'm gonna read this passage from <clears throat> this uh book that mm -hmm. that uh documents uh some 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 sayings that marcus garvey says called emancipated from uh mental slavery mm -hmm. now economics he says 
a race that is solely dependent upon another for its economic existence sooner or later dies. Yeah. As we have in the past been living upon the mercy shown us by others and the chances un uh, obtain and the chances obtainable and have suffered therefrom, uh, so we so we will uh, so will we in the future suffer if an effort is not made now to adjust our own affairs. Yeah. It is only a question of time when the African, economically dependent as he is on the white man, would be forced to the wall, and that the solution of the problem in the future would not be so much by wholesale killing or wiping out of African populations but by well-organized economic starvation. To your point, let me speak on it real quick. Yes, sir. To your point, if Garvey, if Garvey, I hate to, I hate to say this, but it's true. If Garvey, uh, you know, was standing here before us, UNIA, Black Star Line, RBG flag, talking about economic e elevation yet you had uh dubois who was very fair-skinned very 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 fair-skinned yes. um talking about integrationists talk, uh with the naacp on his back and i'm no fan of the naacp <laughs> i'm not i'm really not right. so yeah and if you had if you had those two colorism is real yes it is most of us, we are going to flock to the boy. Because look at how we flock to Obama, who's also fair-skinned, who came on slender, slim, big old, big old, big old nice smile and whatnot, just being that black face in a high place. You know what I'm saying? But, but it's like from Dubois to Obama, yes, yes, we're thriving. There, there, there's a select few of us who are thriving politically, but economically, we still out here. We still out here starving. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And also, and also, it's cra it's it, it's crazy how the boy the boy had that elevation towards Pan Africanism later in life because uh, Martin Luther King himself had a bit of a similar path. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So again, bro, we see the evolution of these philosophies uh, coming up and in our communities. And I think I think for a lot of us, especially me and you, our generation, our age group between, you know, 22 and 39, we, we, we're, we're in a privileged position to look at these, you know, political philosophies, um, these economic philosophies, and we're able to grow and expand from them. Right. So we can look at, you know, like a Booker T and the boys and we can pick out the good and bad and move forward. We can look at a Malcolm X and a Martin Luther King. We can pick out what worked and what didn't work and we can move forward. You know, uh, you know, an Elijah Muhammad and um, who is a, who's a top leader at this time? Uh, you know, we can take a, a Elijah Muhammad and maybe a, a um, uh, maybe a Jesse Jackson. We can pick what we like and we can oh, move forward. You know what I'm saying? Like we can we can we can we can look at these leaders. Now we can take a Barack Obama and a Boyce Watkins or a Claude Anderson, right? And we can take their philosophies and we can move with it because I, I'm gonna gonna stunt like you know Barack Obama 
you know, I, I may not see eye to eye with him politically in some of the moves that he makes, but his lifestyle, if you look at his personal lifestyle, it's very similar to some of the things that we're talking about right now. You know, I, I was looking at the Becoming movie by Michelle Obama. So it's a good movie. You should check it out on Netflix. You know, uh, Michelle Obama says that when she was first dating Barack, right, because she was his mentor before they started dating, you know, he would always be like lost in thought, she said. And she would always ask him, you know, why they were dating. Like, what do you think about when you just like, he just sometimes just like spaces out. And, you know, she was always hoping that he would say her or say something romantic. But Barack Obama inequality in the state of black community that's what he would think about in his younger years right so and, and when you go back and listen to barack obama when he released in his book he talks a lot about how malcolm x impacted his life so you know i, I think there was in some point in barack obama's life some radicalism that was there some you know dissatisfaction with the current conditions in which black people were in and you know for him i think he he understood at least the point of the psychology of black people and he thought that you know his path was he's going to do it on a political level because he thought that law was a a uh, way to kind of re re uh, reinvent you know a, a system that has so long downplayed the intellectual and um, economic contributions of, of black people in this country now you know I'm, I'm on blackenterprise.com and you know you, you talked about how uh you know economic dependency always is going to lead to the fall of a nation or fall of a people you know i'm, I'm at black enterprise according to black enterprise we have a one point almost five trillion dollar spending power and when you compare that spending power to the spending power of nations in this world we rank number 11 black people i'm talking about black people i'm talking about 40 million black people right who is a part of a nation mm -hmm. we have enough spending power that not only makes us independent from that nation from all other well-developed nations we rank number 11 so we have the spending power we have the dollars it's just we don't have too much sense and and so within that we need to, as people, begin to start studying other well-developed nations like Spain, for instance, who has a lower spending power than us, but is way more self-sufficient. We need to study how these nations have less spending power than us, but are able to run their political, economic, and social community, right? And, and how they're able to, to, to navigate all of that and how they were able to do that with less spending power than black. You know what I'm saying? So I think those things have to be studied and examined, you know? So, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I'm 100% I'm with you, man. I, You know, I, I try to not choose between The Voice and, and Booker T. Washington, but I feel like that those philosophies need to be examined and they need to be picked out. And I think as us as a generation, we need to come up with a new paradigm which satisfies all of those. Those. Um, well, you know, Oh, I was about to say, well, you know, one thing that I'm trying to do as I grow, as I grow, as I grow as a person is I try my best not to get caught up in tribalism myself. Like I have a pen, like I have like my, like pan, Af like pan Africanity. I can send myself a pan African of some sort. 
um, Panf Kennedy um, influences the way I see things economically, uh, socially, um, educationally, right, right, right. whatnot. Right. Yet at the end of yet at the end of the day, there is a substantial amount of Caucasians mm-hmm. in my life, and. And that's one thing that, and that's one, and that's a balance that I've been making is, yo, I'm all for my people. I'm all for right. getting my house in order, right. my house in order, my house being my people. But you know, every so often I might step outside and you know, holler at, holler at someone who's fair, uh, holler at someone who's fair yeah. skin, who's a friend of mine. You are an educator, so you have to do yeah, this absolutely. on a regular basis, right? Yes, absolutely. So, so tell me this: How does someone, how does someone who is, you know, uh, maybe Afrocentric to some degree, a member? I'd say a member of the nation of the. Uh, uh, you're a member of the yes, nation sir. of Islam, right? Nation of Islam, which is modeled after the UNIS, yes, yes, right, to to uh, to some degree, yes. How does a member, how do you hear all of the messages from uh, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, uh, Nuri Muhammad? I've been I've been listening to some things yeah, yeah, that he yeah, says yeah, and he's been saying some dope things. Malcolm X, mm-hmm. while he was Malcolm X, yeah. period. Yeah. Malcolm X, yeah, yeah, yeah. period. And we're going to, and we're going to get deeper into Malcolm in a minute because you know yeah, I did yeah, tell a whole episode was, uh, two days ago. Sure was. Three happy days. late birthday to yeah, happy me, late birthday ago. to the. So yeah, yeah. Um, so how do you go to these? How do you go into these spaces? Carry on relationships with mm-hmm. uh, Caucasian students, knowing that knowing that when you go home. That you are praying, you're not praying to you're not praying to Jesus, you're right. praying to Allah. You are going to be you're going to be reading you're going to be reading message to the black man right. by Elijah Muhammad. That's 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 your person that's your personal juices and stuff. Uh, let me right. stop babbling, so, yeah, please. I, please I, I want to let everyone know this um, about about the teachings, um, especially how it's, it's being talked about today, um, and I, and I think. Muhammad Ali said it best. He says, you know, being pro-black doesn't mean anti-white. And I think, and I think black people have to start understanding that. I know the teachings of Elijah Muhammad is is very vulgar on what the white man is, but we have to understand as a people what white means in this country. You know, what white incorporated means in this country, which is a whole different science. And I think for a lot of people and racial equity institute does a really good job of kind of breaking that down of you know white white was invented you know in this country it was invented in this nation right now the nature the history all of that that has also been scientifically proven um by 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 chinese scientists by western scientists everything that Elijah muhammad has said but the term white this concept of white right the, the, the the nature of that term was invented in the United States of America. Now for black people, when you're in the spaces, you know, especially those who are pro-black or Afrocentric, when you're in the spaces with, with white people, right? 
and you have these ideologies just know that that pro-black narrative the afrocentric narrative all of that is to help you to build self-confidence within yourself knowledge within yourself to have the intellectual and creative and divine capability of walking into a space with a group of people who are a part of a culture that believes that you and members of your community are inferior. That's the whole point of having a knowledge of self is to build a counter narrative against that, to protect your subconscious mind from those narratives popping up. And so the more and more that I dive into these teachings, the more and more that it has helped me to accept the simple fact that I am not only equal to this man, but I am more intellectually capable of competing. I am, and my community members, we have the ability to build something that is just as great or can produce something good in this society. We are just as humane. Um, We do have good relationships. Our problems are no different than anyone's problems in this world. And, And we have the ability to hold our weight and obtain power in the same space, even though we may be a fewer numbers than those in the room. So when I walk into a space, that's how I feel about myself. You know, in the, in, in the Bible, in Psalms 82.6, it says, Ye are all gods under the, uh, under the um, most high God. So if God made me in his image, and I am the best thing that he has created or she has created, right? Then I am a God. And because I am a God, I raise myself up to the standard of a God, which I'm responsible for my mind, my body, and my spirit. And when I walk into the space, I know I'm in presence of people who are going to feel that energy and are going to respect me because of that energy. Now, that doesn't mean I have to go out and say that they're this or that the devils or that they're evil or that they're, they don't have the capability of finding God within themselves. I just have that within myself. And so when I walk into the room, I have that confirmation within me. So when I'm talking to these people, I'm talking to them as an equal. I'm talking to I'm talking to them as a man who walks and fears no one but God alone. And so that's how I feel black people should be when they walk into spaces with white people and they feel that anxiety. There's this thing called racial battle fatigue in which we see a lot of black intellects have to face when they come into a place of academia where the white intellect, the, 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 the white culture is the most dominant culture. And the antidote for that, which I learned from the teachings of the most honorable Elijah Muhammad is knowledge itself is the antidote to that. Malcolm X was able to take down PhDs, some of the, the, the most highly intellectual people that you can think of simply because he had a knowledge itself. And he was able to break down arguments in a very simple manner because people try to confuse you with words, right? You know, there's there was this movie I was watching, it's called The Angel Has Fallen, and it talks about, you know, the White House getting attacked, et cetera, et cetera. But there's a line that's always gonna stick to me. And he says that war is nothing more than deception. It's not just fighting and killing and bloodshed, war is deception. And so for you, you have to understand who the master deceivers are, understand their game, understand their mindset, and then you must find the righteousness and a God within yourself to overcome the deception and to turn it into mastery and to turn it into divine intervention in which you can become a light in the midst of darkness.
And so that's what the teaching, that's what you need to do when you're around white people. And again, brother, white people is not the problem. The problem is the conditions that they put you in. And so what you have to do is you have to be able to mentally disassociate yourself from that condition, you know, and, and, and become something greater, something higher than that. You know, there's this book called From Niggas to Guys. One thing I can say the white man did to us through this 400 year stretch is that he created us into a nigga, what we see today. And the way that we lift ourselves out of that is to no longer but to call ourselves what God called us in the good book. God's under the um under the the um, most high God. You know <clears throat> you know first of all to that mm-hmm. I feel that I feel that one hundred percent I rock with that in every space I go into because yeah yeah uh, you'll see me with my aunt you see me growing my hair out you see me pushing now as yourself reading Marcus Garvey uh, red, green flag to my right but yo a few months ago before schools uh, mm-hmm. started uh, started closing mm-hmm. down because of the pandemic once I was with this uh, with this girl mm-hmm. in my group in my ages group right and we were in the computer lab it was, uh, with, and all, all, all the other kids in, in my yes. class have, have left, right? It, it was this little white girl, yes. right? What? Guess what we were sitting there doing? I was playing, I was playing songs from Frozen Two for her, and she mm-hmm. was singing, and she was singing them too. And there's been times when she would pull me to the side mm-hmm. and talk to me about some anxiety that she had. So, so I know me as a person. You know, I'm Afro, I'm Afrocentric with the way I operate and stuff. But yo, I got love for everybody, and you should love everybody. Um, also, oh yeah, you know, yeah, but yeah, but, yeah, but, but here's the thing: love is and, not emotion. Love is an action. You know, yeah. That man, I say that all the time. Yeah, it's an action. I say word, love is right. an action word. Even the prophets, they have enemies. We have enemies. But the prophet still found it in their heart to forgive. Now, forgive does not mean forget, and it does not mean become buddy buddies and friends. Love is an action where you're able to rise above the condition that you have with your enemies. Again, this doesn't mean, and and it, again, this is well, I'm not saying this. Like, y'all bear with me. I'm not saying that. Again, be buddy buddy. You know, clearly identify your enemy. Know that's your enemy. But for the sake of your godliness, right? Which is a word that me and my brother kind of made up. But for the sake of your godliness and the sake of you staying on the straight path, do not let the end, do not let the memory of your enemy keep you away from your godliness. Because sometimes I feel like we give too much credit to white people for a condition that we can change now. We don't have, we're at a period right now where our ancestors have fought for us to be the masters of our own destiny. You know, I don't think white people are going to have a problem with us doing for self. And if they do, then we then we have to be prepared to deal with whatever repercussions that there is. But I think at this point, right now, the narrative of reliance and building for self is cool. Now, when you're with young white people and you begin to introduce them to your world, I think that's sort of a great benefit 
to them. And here's why. Because when they see people like you, brother, showing your identity, living your identity, they get a new image of black people that they've never been introduced to before. Because when you look at mainstream culture, they show black people as hypersexual or criminal or inhumane. But what you do in that classroom, what you do in that moment with those young white people, and I've done this too in my classroom, is that I show them a different image of black people, the intellectual, the one that's that one that has a culture and is proud to be a part of that culture, a one that embraces everyone, but is still unique within their own identity. You know, you have that's what you have to do, brother. And I think that's what you were doing. You were showing your students your world and that your world is unique. Your world is equal. Your world is special. And your world does speak to your divinity. You know? Appreciate that, brother. And I will tell you this. My students will tell oh, you that I push black yeah. history all year round. In fact, I'm going to tell you one moment. I'm going to tell you one moment that we once had. And then we're going to get to Malcolm. Um, so, like I said, I push black history heavy. One time, one time I said to them, who could tell me who was the first person to refuse to give up their seat on the bus? Like, five hands went up, right? And I say, okay, you, Rosa Parks, you, Rosa Parks, Rosa Parks, Rosa Parks, Rosa Parks. Two, like, two white kids, three black kids, right? They were so proud of themselves, but, they, but then I said, you're all wrong. They look, they look shocked. It was like, what? I said, no, Claudette Colvin. Oh, man. She was the first. Yep. I said, but the end up, but um, due to the fact that she was impregnated by a married man, a month, and she had, and she was a bit uh, feisty, we'll say, um, there were people in high positions that chose to talk about Rosa Parks' yeah. case instead yeah, of Claudia Colby. Here's the thing. Um, Callie Colby was also not trained as an organizer like Rosa Parks was. Rosa Parks and, and Dr. Martin Luther King, before they started protesting, they were trained to learn how to deal with resistance. They learned about passive resistance. They began to start studying gardening. Right? Rosa Parks was well in her years. Um, Rosa Parks didn't have any children that she was responsible for. Um, and Rosa Parks was seasoned, too. And there was already a plan ahead to get Rosa Parks out of that. And, and that unfortunately was not done for our dear sister who, who was already demonstrating what Rosa Parks had demonstrated. So of course Rosa Parks was was the best choice for the job simply because of her back training. And I think that's what we need to have, brother, when we begin to start coming into situations where we want to create movements, is that there's a lot of training and knowledge that has to be obtained. There has to be an analysis that's gained before we start jumping in and stuff. I think our problem sometimes is that we get extremely reactionary. Like with our young brother that got shot in uh, Georgia, you know, uh, brother Ahmad, you know, uh, mm -hmm. our reaction was, for the most part, was the same. There were some people who were already organized. There were some people who were already um, 
putting their plans into motion, but for the majority of us, we're very reactionary to it. And I understand because we're extremely fed up. How much longer are we gonna see brothers getting slain by, by this open enemy, right? With this ideology of superiority, right? This ideology of, of um, protecting their communities, right? And policing us. You know, even when they're not wearing the uniform or they're not under the regulations of American law. And there's evidence to show that this thing was already set up. You know, I was throwing, you know, Candace Owens, you know, again, tried to demonize it, just like they did with Trayvon Martin and Michael Brown, trying to demonize these young men, right? Not understanding the conditions that they're in, right? Try to demonize this man saying that he was doing criminal activity in an abandoned building. I don't know about you, bro, but I sometimes I get curious. You know, we all, you know, go to places that we shouldn't be at you know we, we we may go into areas that we shouldn't be at right everybody does that asian black you know hispanic we've all done that you know but for the end result of this young man to be slain because these men have been plotting on his life for for days weeks ahead of the the actual assassination the murder then we should you know really start to consider how we need to plan this out because brothers like Ahmad is just a warning sign for us to be better organized and prepared like Sister Parks did when she did that sit-in for the voice bus boycott. You know, that's that's, that's that's all I'm saying. You know, I think with Candace Owens, um, I, first I like of all, I love Candace Owens. You know, yeah, I, I don't yeah, agree with everything. Mm-hmm. I don't agree with everything that she says. I don't agree with every single thing she says, but she she be on the way when she talking about when she talking about how we rely when we overly rely yeah, on the Democratic Party. She on it. I, I think her critiques on liberalism and the Democratic Party are extremely valid, you know. Um, but that doesn't mean the Republican Party is innocent yeah. too, and they haven't done anything, right? That's why I was like, we can't, we can't, we can't get involved. Oh, yeah, we can't get involved in that, um, that political game banging they got going on. Like that's not our place, you know what I'm saying? And so, um... now nah, we can't. But I think that I think that what mm-hmm. what uh, Sister Candace was doing in her own <clears throat> in her own mm-hmm. uh, in her own era, she was doing what she was doing what uh, she was doing yeah. pretty much the oldest trick in the book. Uh, basically, trivializing the death of someone by um, covering up uh, with things that they, yeah. uh, things, uh, mistakes that they may have made. You know, that's what Hitler did to start a campaign of hatred to Germans uh, from Germans over Jews. Therefore, it doesn't look as bad when uh, they started, you know, exterminating them and putting them on the trains and sending them all to yeah. the uh, concentration camp yeah. and killing them. Yeah, yeah. So, no, I was just gonna say, yeah, we can learn a lot from the Holocaust. Cause I mean, that was straight propaganda. That's 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 social psychology right there, you know. And um, you know, I sympathize with any life that's been taken away due to a, a, an oppressive dictator. You know, um, what happened to the Jews was absolutely wrong, man. But yeah, it was. It all started with that psycho- that social psychology, the the demonizing of a group of people, right, and, and claiming that they are inferior and subhuman and not worthy of life way before a oppression or a physical um terrorism has happened to them you know 
So I, I'm 100% with you on that. And I see that happening a lot with black people. I feel like we already get demonized before we get buried in the ground. I mean, look how they tore this man's life apart. You know, they, they try to criminalize him to justify what was going on, man. Instead of just, just saying this was just outright wrong, you know? So um, we, we just got to learn when to draw the line. I think we, I think as a country, man, we got to stop making things so political. I think Candace Owens, as much as I love the way she thinks, she's an opportunist, bro. We have to be very wary of that. Like she's making a lot of money off simply just giving these opinions, right? Um, and you know, and it's not always about Black America. You know, she makes a lot of you know statements about COVID nineteen and a lot of different things. And again, she she makes a lot of valid points, man. But we got to take what people say with a grain of salt. And we got to be able to study for ourselves and think for ourselves, you know. And so um, that, that's I think that's just something that we have to do as a people. Um, and, uh, and, you know, regardless of racial lines, man, because I feel like Candace Owens can confuse a lot of white people, especially well-attended white people who are trying to, you know, navigate and really understand the plight of black America. It's just American culture in general, you know. Um, I think that's sometimes the consequence of free thought is that um, it, it, it's going to cause a lot of conflict amongst a group of people, amongst the masses who may not think for themselves because we haven't been taught to think for ourselves and, and to um, find find similarities in our differences. Man, I agree, man. I, I totally agree. Now, now let's, let, let, let's go to... I, I want to say happy place, okay. but I'll say a more inspirational place. <clears throat> we live in a society where if you did something wrong, just horrible, heinous wrong, 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago, you are the devil. Even if you, even if you redeem yourself for whatever reason, in, in whatever form, right? Charlemagne the God says this perfectly. In today's age, Malcolm Little could not have become Malcolm X. Mm. I agree because Malcolm Little was a pimp, a hustler, a criminal, a thief, in some ways a prostitute. Like he was, he was, he was making, he was doing really well at you know becoming like the lowest yeah. form yeah. of a human of an individual of a human being goes to jail yeah he does he, like what no, eight he does years, like six seven years, years. no uh, he I went think when he was, he was like, 21 he got out when he was about 26 27 yeah mm-hmm. goes to jail learns yeah. the writings from the honorable elijah muhammad Yes. Learns to pray. Yes. He wasn't a praying person. Yes. It was hard for him to humble himself. Comes out of jail and he at comes out of jail. This man doesn't have no college. No. This man this man didn't have no college degree. But he was an infinite yes. studier. His education was books. And he was smart and yo, if he traced back his life. He's been smart his entire life because he wanted to be a lawyer when he was little. Yeah. So I look at Malcolm, I look at Malcolm X 
And I hate that when Pete, I hate that Martin and Malcolm, a lot of mainstream minded people, you know, all they know is Martin and Malcolm. There are so much more than Martin and Malcolm. But I do love, I do love that while that Malcolm <clears throat> basically told it like it is, you know, he got into the psyche of, he got into the psyche of us and told and basically told us what we needed to hear but we were but we rejected i think that though i love martin luther king and he and he's one of my heroes i think that while he was uh yeah. fighting so hard to integrate us malcolm was coming with a message that we needed to hear no 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 let them have that let them have that yeah. fire going on we need to be building among ourselves um, and um, what Malcolm is Malcolm X? Think Ozzie Davis said it beautifully to anyone else. Malcolm X was a shining black, shining black prince. You know, he was our manhood, and you know, um, I agree with Dr. Weston Muhammad when he was doing this talk with uh, Dr. Dr. Meek Hill. Um, he says, you know, Malcolm, and it's something that we got to understand. You know, Malcolm became Malcolm X is because of the FOI class from the Nation of Islam. You know, there there's a several pictures of Malcolm X teaching the brothers in the nation about what it means to be a man. And Malcolm, you know, dedicated himself to making sure that he can convey the teachings into a message that people, the everyday person can understand and relate to. That's what made Malcolm so special. He was a mastermind. You know, he was intelligent organizer and he was an intelligent thinker. And I think that's something that we all can benefit from Malcolm is that he was extremely dedicated to reforming himself and his mind constantly. He was always involved, you know? And so that's what Malcolm really means to me. He was a him and Louis Farrakhan, Elijah Muhammad, brothers from the Nation of Islam, people who sympathize with the Nation of Islam. You know, I, I see a evolving TD Jakes. I see a lot of these leaders now demonstrating a new image of, of man. Even Tyler Perry, you know, like if you look into Tyler Perry's story, it may shock you a little bit. You know, you know, he, you know, he didn't compromise to things we thought he compromised to. And you know, I, 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 you know, you know, it's crazy. I bring up Tyler Perry, and Malcolm X in the same conversation, but you know, it's it's just like. Yeah, you know, but but you know, I don't know how I did that, but but you know, I respect these men. Yeah, I respect these men, and I respect because they're they're demonstrating a, a sense of power within themselves that we don't get to see a lot. And so, um, now I know a lot of people get kind of turned off with with Malcolm in the Nation because of of the assassination attempt. Um, you know, which is it's very complex. Um, Malcolm is very complex, and I think. Um, it'd be extremely hard for us to kind of like climb through that but one thing we again we all could benefit from from Malcolm X is that he had a a heart and a spirit that did not compromise he did tell it how it is I mean he did make some mistakes so we can't say that he's perfect but when it comes to the liberation mentally politically economically of our community you know, Malcolm X definitely took it to levels that I, I I never thought he could take it. You know, talking about going to the United Nations, right? And and holding the United States accountable for what happened to black people is is the prime reason why he got assassinated. And, and so that's what Malcolm meant to me. He was a 
He was a, a shining black prince that was fearless, that stood for the truth, even though that his life was being put on the line for speaking that truth to power. And so, um, you know, I, I love Malcolm. I'm going to continue to love Malcolm. I'm going to continue to study Malcolm, as we all should. And I think we can all learn from Malcolm, you know, um, both his mistakes from his past life, from his time in the nation, from his time outside of the nation, and um, also his philosophies and how they grew and, and evolved and changed. And Malcolm got very political, too. And so um, that's why I tell people, you know, I, I focus a lot on economics, never shy away from politics because there's benefit in that, too. And Martin Luther King, as you can see, was also evolving because he was very political. But he began to start talking about injustice and, and started challenging culture in the same fashion that Malcolm was challenging it. And, and so, yeah, well, I, th I think I think Malcolm, uh, to me, is, is just a, another example of um, what manhood could potentially be like for a lot of brothers, especially brothers who um, are poor, who, who live a life of, of disorder and chaos, and um, who have been subjected to that, to that nigga mindset, and now have the ability to get out of that mindset and actually see themselves as a self-proclaimed God. Um. Yeah, I'm just I'm just processing it. I'm just taking it all in. You know, I can actually see. I can actually. You could put Tyler Perry and Malcolm X in the same sense because here's why. I was just thinking about that while um while listening to er while listening and hearing everything you were saying, which was dope. I was just wondering. Can't, I was also wondering. You can't. You can't can put Malcolm. You can't put Malcolm X in the top ten category. Uh, uh, uh huh. Uh huh. Not the same category, but 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 let's think about this. Let's think about this. Tyler Perry is a black man who is a business owner and who has given jobs to tons of black people, not just in front of the camera but behind the camera. Yeah, he has helped with housing, all of that. So. Tyler Perry and people who are like minded to him. Mind you, I'm no fan of Madea. I'm no fan of Madea at, at all. But I love Tyler Perry's hustle. Could he possibly be some type of a some type of a what's the world looking for? Manifestation of um, of Malcolm's black economic talk because yeah. Tyler Perry yeah, yeah. talks a lot about I, I think, ownership. Yeah. Go ahead, bro. Now, now, well, I was about to say, now, now, Malcolm talks, now, yeah. Ma Malcolm's basically talking about nation building. He was yeah. talking about, you know, building our, building our own economy. Yeah. Yeah. Tyler Perry owns the entertainment company, right? But it's something, it's something that, Equivalence to job growth. I, I, I think Tyler you, you Perry. Is, or, uh, am I making sense or the philosophies that were taught about in Malcolm's era? That's why I can't say they're the same person. Um, because uh, Tyler Perry, Tyler Perry wasn't is not as vocal as Malcolm was. Well, Tyler Perry isn't as political as Malcolm is or was. You know, Tyler Perry is building is building up his own empire. 
you know, he's he's practicing, right? He's doing more of the, the, the work in terms of building up the empire rather than just, you know, speaking truth to power, which is nothing wrong. And I think Tyler Perry does provide a, a spiritual inclination and a, and a spiritual devotion to black people doing better for themselves. Like, and, and the one thing Tyler Perry does that I think is interesting with the Medea plays and stuff like that is that he does talk about some issues going on in the black community. And, you know, he was willing to face the ridicule that came with it. Um, there's some things I disagree with it, like, you know, the the demonizing of the black male image and things of that nature. But at the same time, he was kind of critiquing some of the behaviors that we have adopted, right? Because they're, they're, that's, we're not in our right mind sometimes as black men. But, it, you know, that doesn't mean we have to be emasculated or demonized, but sometimes we're not in our right mind. And and so I think Tyler Perry has has... You know, he does an amazing job at pointing out some of those flaws that he sees, not only within our communities, but also within the church and very aspects of our lives. Um, but I think what he's done with that money and how he's reinvented it, put it towards something that could really help benefit us and provide us an opportunity to um, to grow from our mistakes and become different and become whole again and to become more spiritually inclined. I think Tyler Perry's done a good job of that. So I wouldn't say that him and Malcolm are the same people, but I do think that uh, Tyler Perry has uh, done the best that he can to manifest some of the principles that Malcolm has has taught. Um, and I think he has a lot of attributes that, that could be very similar to Malcolm X and, and, and what you just mentioned earlier about, about owning and employing and providing opportunity that we may not probably see within our own communities that we live in. Now the name that you now the name that you did say yeah. that kind of that kind oh, of shot. I mean, some people have to listen to TDJ sometimes, man. You know, uh, like, don't get me wrong. I'm not big on mega churches, man. I'm not big on um, uh, a lot of things that TDJ used to do. But if you kind of listen to him, especially now, man, like TDJ be speaking some truth to power, man. He do it. Personal development on on um on building up oneself you know what i'm saying so and i, I think again that's that's like going back to wb the boys and booker t washington we don't have to agree on everything that they says but let's take out what we feel like can be useful to us and let's build on that you know i think the greatest evil that has happened to us as a people is the mindset we developed from being in america for so long and being oppressed for so long you know we, we we're so used to seeing pain and trauma and hurt and disparities that every time something good happens we have to try to figure out the negative in it to help balance our our just negative poverty written mindset and so we have to kind of dig ourselves out of that and to be able to find the good in everything that we can find and try to flesh out the the um the evil the necessary evil and at the same time like allow people to kind of be themselves because we have to see the humanity in people too you know we, we have to be able to see the humanity in people because that's what helps us to connect with them more. You know, a lot of people can, 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 can connect with Malcolm because of his past. You know, Malcolm made mistakes. Malcolm continued to make mistakes even after he got reformed. And so that's what makes him human. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody, all our great leaders have made mistakes, bro, have done things that probably go against our moral principles and their moral principles. And we have to be able to see the humanity in that. And we have to be able to learn from that because we, we're, we're no better judge 
right? So we can't, we have to stop being so cynical, right? And see leaders for the humans that they are, take the good from them and build on that, you know? And so I think Tyler Perry's done a good job of, of just building on that and practicing that, even though he's human and he's made a lot of mistakes. Hey man, I feel you. I feel you. Yeah. <laughs> Lord knows, Lord knows, I made a lot of mistakes. Um. So as we start to as we start to bring this to a close, um, <clears throat> I know that last time we talked, you have you cleared uh you you cleared the false perception about you that I had, and that is that you were part of the soul society in which you're not part of the soul society however you are more like a yeah we, we close yeah, family we, we, member we, close we're brothers, brother we're brothers confident we are brothers we're neighbor so what are the things that you've been able to you know make happen um and accomplish with, so with uh, the soul society, society what we have accomplished thus far is of course this year they have helped me extremely with the paradigm keys event that took place with brother 19 keys last year for bringing them here so society has helped me with brotherhood breakfast they have not only participated but helped me with some of the organizational tips and Soul society has also um played a huge role in getting um, a life design curriculum we've been working on in front of high school students, particularly black male students who are in ISS and in school suspension. We have used this life design curriculum I've developed that I've learned and gained over a period of time. We're implementing that now. Now, of course, of course with, with COVID-19 taking place, that wasn't something that could be fully executed to where we can see the results of what we're doing, but we at least did get our foot in the door and we're working with Dudley High School with this life design curriculum and where we're definitely making an impact with um, young black males in particular who seem to overwhelmingly be the demographics in, in school suspensions. Okay, and um, so tell me this, and I ask every and I ask every guest this, like, what does the future hold and what would you like to accomplish as we, as we, um, as we hit the midpoint of 2020 what would you like to accomplish for the rest of the year absolutely and what man. would you um, like so what i want to like you know i have a, a goal that i want to touch a quarter million people and help them to find their life purpose so uh 2020 will be me working towards that goal and figuring out a system that can best help me to reach that many people so that's a big goal for me um of course to earn some additional income i mean i'm not going to say the the exact number but to earn additional income from the various different products and services I have now with the intellectual action there. That's a big goal. And uh, a last goal is just to um, to dive more deep into my teachers and, and, and to be a better example for my community. I know that self-development is the basis to community development. And so if I improve self, I can definitely improve my community. So those will be some things I'm doing. I'm doing that right now with this quarantine is that, you know, I'm locking myself down in my studies. Um, being very intentional about what I teach in my classes. And um, I'm going to start to be more intentional with the words that I share with people because words are extremely powerful. Um, the narratives that we speak on are extremely powerful and the way that we talk about things are extremely powerful. So those are things I'm going to be working on 
in 2020. Um, there's some other things I'll speak on, but you know, I want to wait till they manifest first and just let everyone see them. But yeah, th- those are those are some some goals that I have um, for 2020, and especially coming into 2021, because um, this will be a new America, a new paradigm, and just a new way of life. So um, for us as as thinkers, as entrepreneurs, as uh, thought leaders. We have to be able to accommodate to the times and uh, lift the people in a in the midst of darkness. Wow, yeah, that's really dope, man. Well, like I said before, and I say it again. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for all for your people because I know it doesn't come. I know it doesn't come with a lot of money. It's, it's a labor for it's a labor of love more than anything it's labor of love so for all that you do for all that you stand for and stuff you sir are definitely a much needed love encouraging and inspirational necessary member of the renaissance you are the you are the one standing there you are the one standing there teaching powerful lessons while you know the playwright. The playwrights are writing. The directors are directing. The actors are rehearsing their lines. The rappers are writing their lyrics and stuff. You the one espousing the type, the type of knowledge and the type of, and, and the type of yes, teaching yes, that sir. inspire our work. Yes, sir. Thank you, bro. So thank you very much, man, for all you do, man. And when you do get those things. When yes, you sir. do get those yes, things manifesting, um, yeah. you gotta it's come back and you gotta talk about um, it. This is a powerful, powerful podcast. I appreciate your questions. Yeah, I never know what you're gonna ask. <laughs> totally different energy from from the one that we made up. So um, it's always a pleasure to get on with you and, and to break down this knowledge, man. So thank you for having me, bro. Well, you know, uh, you're welcome, and also, you know. Um, the way I the way I work sometimes sometimes I go by questions sometimes I just go by yes, the flow of the energy. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. May peace be to you, man, brother. Thank you and everyone that's coming, listening, man. I greatly appreciate everyone it. that will listen later, man. Godspeed. Peace.